for each person that is here with us today. We thank you for the trials that you have given them. And we know that it is you who have uh, given us the trials that we all have. We ask, Father, specifically that you will be with those that are in severe pain. Be with Lynn Crabtree, Father, and deliver her from this pain that you've placed upon her. Deliver her from the, the medicines that she has to take to fight the pain and heal her of the afflictions that you've placed upon her. Be with uh, our sister Nell. Heal her of her back problems, Father. Make those just go away and give her a life of uh, rest you know, without the pain that she's in. Be with our sister Mary Morgan and give her an a, uh, uneventful move from, from her house to her new house. Be with Tony, her husband. Strengthen him for this move that will have to be made. We ask that you will be with each and every person who's in need of employment. Be with uh, our, our sister Marcia's husband and give him employment. And now, Father, we know that you, you are aware of each and every brother and sister that is in your body, that is part of our flesh, that is in need of any kind. Be with our brother Paul Miller. Take away those headaches. Strengthen him for the work that you have yet for him to do. Heal him of all the afflictions you placed upon him. And give him to us in health, Father, as a witness that you are still able and uh, present help in time of trouble. <clears throat> and now finally we ask that you will go with us in this study we're about to partake of. That you will help us to see that you are indeed light on one side and dark on the other. And that that has a personal application for each of us in our trials, in our tests, and help us to remember that the hard times and the negative experiences we have are also of you, that you create light and darkness, you create good and evil, and that that applies to us in our lives, as well as to what we see going on in the world. We ask these things all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're continuing our series on the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which, as I've said so many times, is simply when Christ told Peter, he says, I'm giving to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, he was talking to all of us. You know, you know just talking to Peter, as uh, Matthew 18 makes clear, because the keys to the kingdom of heaven give us the, the ability to bind on earth what has already been bound in heaven and to loose on earth what has already been loosed in heaven. That's why Christ's prayer that he tells us to pray is to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is a another key to understanding the mind of God because that's what the keys to the kingdom of heaven are. They're just simply the knowledge of who God and Christ are. Christ and, and his Father have the same mind. They think the same things and they do the same things. And that's what we're learning here with each key that we receive. Exodus 14, verse 20 says, 
and it, talking about the cloud, came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud <coughs> and darkness to them, the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to these, to God's typical elect, the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And that's what we hope to do when we are coming out of Egypt, which is the same as coming out of Babylon. Come not near, be not near, do not touch the others who are, who are living in the night. Not understanding that all scripture has both a positive and a negative application, has served to keep the keys of the kingdom, and does serve to keep the kingdom, keys to the kingdom of heaven, hidden from and out of the hands of those who those keys have not been given to. Uh, Matthew 13 verses uh, 5, 9 through 15 give, give us that that statement that I just made. It, 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 it backs it up where Christ says that blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. But it's not given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Which is the same as the keys to the kingdom of heaven. They just haven't been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now Exodus 14 verse 20 there that we just read is speaking of Christ. It, he's that cloud. We're told that he, he was that cloud. Exodus 13 says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. In other words, I am with you always. Just another way of saying the same thing. The same cloud was to one people, bright light in the middle of the day, and the other side of the same cloud, there was such thick darkness that those in that darkness couldn't see their own hands in front of their face. It was dark. And that's what this world is without Christ. Peter tells us that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. And here we're told, here in, in uh, Exodus, we're told that Christ went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and, and by night in a pillar of fire. But let's look at Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now that is a revelation for those who don't know it. Christ is the Lord of the Old Testament. He's both the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And you don't know the Father except through him, as we'll learn later in this study. The word Lord in Exodus 13.21 is translated from the what the Jews call the Tetragrammaton, meaning the four letters. And those four letters are Y-H-W-H. That's all there is there in the Old Testament in the original. Those who have added the vowels have generally agreed that that the vowels would be Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. Some scholars add an O between the the H and the W, and you come up with Yehovah, which is then anglicized into Jehovah. Now, we have several FAQs which give the scriptures proving that Christ, the Word, is the Yahweh or the Jehovah who did he did all the speaking in the Old Testament. Wherever you see the Lord talking, it's, it's Christ talking. 
Yahweh appears more than any other name in the Old Testament. It appears 6,528 6, times. In the King James Version, it's almost always translated with all caps, L-O-R-D. The only exceptions are that it's translated as God four times and as Jehovah four times. All the other times, same word is translated L-O-R-D, Lord. And Christ was made both Lord and Christ. Now, it was Yahweh who talked with Moses at the burning bush. Here you see it in Exodus 3. When the L-O-R-D, that's all caps in the King James, saw that he turned aside to see the burning bush, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw near, draw not near hither, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Now, Paul tells us that this holy ground that he's standing on, uh, was it Mount uh, uh, Moriah? Not Moriah, Mount uh, Horeb, it's called. Mount Sinai, my goodness, losing my mind here. But the point is that it's in, it's in Arabia. It's not Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Moses was in Arabia. And what made the ground holy was the fact that the Lord was there. And that's the only thing that makes ground holy is if the Lord is in it. You and I are God's holy ground because we are the dirt and he is in us. Verse, verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God, and, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord, again, YHWH said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Yahweh the Lord spoke with Moses. It was Yahweh who had spoken with and had eaten a meal with Abraham 500 years earlier when he came to tell Abraham that Sarah would have a child. Let's look at that in Genesis 18:13. The Lord, Hebrew Yahweh, said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child which am old? That was the Lord talking, sitting there eating with Abraham. It's Christ Jesus himself who reveals to us that it was he who spoke to Abraham. And it was he who was the cloud that led them through the wilderness when he tells us this. Now this is John 5 verse 37, a verse you would do well to have in your memory. And the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Now, that's just a very clear statement. You have not at any time heard his voice or seen his shape. So it is Christ himself who was dark as the darkest night to the Egyptians, and it was Christ who was the same light to the Israelites his elect in type. Christ is not just a pillar of cloud, he's also the word. Here's the New Testament revelation of what the pillar of the cloud, which was darkness to the Egyptians, while it was a lot, at the same time light to the Israelites. Here's what it means. John 1 verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. 
Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Those that he gives that light to. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Now that's the message of the Egyptians being in darkness and the Israelites being in the light. That's the message. If it's true that Christ is the Word, and if it's true that you have neither heard his voice at any time, then it in no way contradicts those two truths to replace the word made with the word said in verse 3, and it would still agree with the sum of the Word of God. And it would be true to turn the sum of, uh, it would be true to the sum of his word, and here's how it would read. John 3, 1 verse 3. All things were said by him, and without him was not anything said that was said. Uh, if you can see the, the truth of that, you will understand that every time you see the Lord talking in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter who it is or where it is. If it says, Lord, it's talking about Jesus Christ. He's the Word. Now, one of the clearest applications of this key to the kingdom of God, this principle of being light to those, those that are given eyes to see, while at the same time being total darkness to those who are not given eyes to see, is explained for us in Matthew 13, where Christ explains to his disciples why he spoke to the multitudes in parables. Uh, verse, starting with verse 10, and verse 9, by the way, says, He that has eyes to, uh, ears to hear, let him hear. And then verse 10 says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why speak you to them in parables? And he answered and said, Because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. That's the reason. That's the because. This is the reason. It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You're in the light, but to them it's not given. They're in the darkness. The multitudes of Christians who come to Christ are in darkness. For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him will be taken even that he has. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because they see and see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. Now, I gave a talk in uh, Richmond, Virginia, back in 2002, to a bunch of concordant brothers. And after my talk, which, in which I said the very things I'm saying to you here right now, the leading minister at that conference got up and said, everything you just heard was a bunch of hogwash. Uh, if words don't mean what they say, then they don't mean anything. Now that's, that's what you call total spiritual blindness. He, he, he bless his heart, love the brother. He's a, he's, 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 he's a brother in Adam, but he's certainly not been given to see, and he doesn't understand Matthew 13 here at all. You know, he has eyes that see. They see. Oh, yes, they see. They see words. But they don't perceive what those words mean because the words don't mean what they say. They have a biblical meaning, and that's the way it is with the Word of God, and that's what keeps it darkness to the world. Verse 11, he answered and said to them. Well, let me, let me read here. I, I missed part of what I want to say to you. It was given to Israel to see what God was doing, but the Egyptians, it wasn't given to them. Everything that happened there at the Red Sea was a type and shadow of what Christ came to reveal to those that he gave eyes to see. It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it's not given. 
for whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he will be he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken even that that he has. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen see not. Well, they hear the words of the parables. Sure they do. They hear a sower went forth to sow. They don't know what that means. Seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. It seems impossible that the very words that reveal the mind of God and his Son to his elect, the very words that nourish and feed and give light and life to God's elect, are the very same words that are poisoned that weaken and that blind and that give darkness and bring death to our old man, the first Adam. Now, does this apply to every word of God? Well, how far do we go in uh, applying this dark to one and light to the other, this positive to the one and negative to the other, key to the kingdom of heaven? If indeed Christ is the word, and if the scriptures are in fact his written word, then the principle revealed to us in this particular key to the kingdom of heaven must surely apply to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And what is it we're told of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Well, it's here in Matthew 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And 1 Corinthians 4, 6, <clears throat> excuse me, tells us, Now these things, brothers, I apply... I applied to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, so that in us uh, you might learn not to think above that which is written. <clears throat> That's what we need to know about that which is written. Don't think above that which is written, so that you may not be puffed up one over one against the other. What you think and say should be exactly what I think and say because we have one mind. And that's every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If it's true that the word of God is darkness to those who do not know God, and it's light to those to whom he is revealing himself, and if it's true that man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, then it follows that we must all live first, in that spoken and written darkness before we're given eyes to see and ears to hear the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, is that a true statement? Do the scriptures confirm that we are all first Egyptians who could not see their hands in front of their faces because of the extent of the darkness in which they were living? Is that true for all of us first? Well, here's what the scriptures answer to that question. In, it's in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you, you and me, has he quickened, given life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our way of life, conversation, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, that is by birth, by physical birth, the children of wrath, even as others. We've all been the children of wrath. And without Christ, that's who we are, children of wrath, all having our conversation in the lusts of the flesh. There's our answer. 
We all had our way of life in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. What this key of the kingdom reveals in practice is that every man lives out both the positive and the negative words, the blessings and the curses that have proceeded out of the mouth of God, God including these very dark words. John 3, verse 36, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Now, that's wonderful. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That also happens to apply to you and me. Revelation 5, verses 7 and 8. I mean, 15, verses 7 and 8. One of the four beasts gave to the seven angels the seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. Anything in there for us? Well, let's see what the next verse says. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Well, are you in the temple of God? If you are, then you have had the wrath of God poured out upon you. No man enters the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels are fulfilled. No man is able to enter into the temple to the seven plagues of the seven angels who were given the seven vials of the wrath of God were fulfilled in that person's life, which life is the temple of God. As the Apostle Paul told all those in his charge, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, just to make this crystal clear, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? How do you get there? If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So, the way we got to be the temple of God is by the death of our old man. If indeed Christ is the word, and if we are to live every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, does that not mean that we must confess to all the sins of all men and bear the curses and as well as uh, the blessings of Scripture? Isn't that exactly what Christ our Savior did? Well, let's read about it. Isaiah 53, verse 2. We're going to read down through verse 6. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no former comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we shall desire, should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. You and me, this is us. We hated Christ. And the world hates Christ, too. The world hates Christ. Who are you? You are Jesus of Nazareth. That's who you are, hated by the world. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Boy, he had that coming, didn't he? That's what we think when we see a brother who is being judged. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our 
to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, does that have any application for us? Well, let's consider Colossians 1 verse 24, which I need to put in there. Which says that Christ, that, 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 that we have this down payment in, in, uh, in earnest. And we are bearing in our bodies, in our flesh, that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. For the very same reason, for his body's sake, which is the church. Then 1 Corinthians 15.3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Galatians 1.4, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father. And 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Well, who is his own body? Well, Ephesians 5 again tells us, that's verse 30, put that in there if you will, please. We are his flesh and his bone. We are of the same body, and the scripture says, being of the body. Sharing in the affliction, being of the body. Are these words which have no personal application to you and me? The keys of the kingdom of heaven, which kingdom is within us, reveal that both the bright side and the dark side of Christ are ours. It's not just the bright, good, light side, lighted side which is ours. The keys of the kingdom of heaven reveal to us that we must fill up in our bodies that which is behind of he who is despised and rejected of man. We too must be, have no beauty that we should be desired. We also must be despised and rejected of men. It's given to us to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's given to us on his behalf to bear the griefs and sorrows of our fellows. It's given to us to be wounded for the transgressions and bruised for the iniquities of our fellow man. It's given to us to be crucified with Christ for the very same reason, the very same goal, and the same purpose for which Christ was crucified. Well, why was Christ crucified? He was crucified for the sins of the world. And that's what we're being crucified for. It's given to us to be required of and to bear all the sins of all men from Adam. Or, I mean, just as Christ did. It's laid on us to do the same thing. Leviticus 16, verses, verse 10, and then verse 21. But the goat, the scapegoat, on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And then verse 21, it's repeated, Aaron shall lay his hand, both his hands, upon the head of the goat and confess over him, over that goat, the living sacrifice, all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Now you, you, we've got a, uh, an article on that called The Spiritual Significance of the Nazarite Vow. And uh, I want you to look at that to just show who the uh, scapegoat is. 
Luke 11, verse 50, that the blood of the prophets, this is just confirming what's said there, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which was perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. We read that and we put it off on those people that killed Christ. Well, who, who killed Christ? <laughs> well, it was you and me. It was you and me. Let's examine the depth of the application of this particular key to the kingdom of heaven, which teaches us that there is both bright and a positive side uh, to our Lord as a pillar of cloud, which was at the very same time dark and negative as he stood between and delivered his people from their enemies, all of which we now know was but a type and a shadow of the kingdom of God which is within us. Here's what's involved in being saved from sin and death for those who are given to receive it. And not everybody's given to receive it. Not everybody, very few as a matter of fact. This is what's given to the scapegoat, the Lord's living sacrifice, to bear the sins of the people. Matthew 10, verse 21. Brother will del shall deliver up brother to death and the father the child, and the children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. That's not a you might be. You shall be. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew 10, verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It's a, it is enough that the disciple, for the disciple, that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So Christ is saying that you and I are going to be more so-called the children of Beelzebub, the, of the house of Beelzebub, than he was. Acts uh, 9, verse 15. The Lord said unto him, speaking of Ananias, who was sent to Saul of Tarsus, Go your way, for he, Saul of Tarsus, is a chosen vessel to me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, and this is speaking to you and me, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Romans 8.17 If the children be... And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. We don't just ride into heaven on Christ's, Christ's coattails. If so be that we suffer with him, then we're heirs and joint heirs with him, that we may be also glorified together. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Philippians 1, verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Who is he? He is the church. He is the church, those who Saul was persecuting. Colossians 1.24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, 
and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of the Christ. There's an article there in the original. In my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. The church is the Christ. And it is given to us to die for the body of Christ, just as it was for Christ. Second Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Second Timothy 3.12, yes, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a verse that came up earlier in our discussion before our study. Hebrews 11, verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The reason uh, that verse before came up was because someone had said, uh, if, if everything's going wrong just fine and you're not having any trouble, something's wrong. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of like what it says there. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, because we, we, we will be hated of all. Hebrews 13.3, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer, suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. There it is, you know. We are that one body. And that one body serves its same purpose all the way through, to be a to be a sacrifice for the rest of Israel, to bear the sins of the rest of Israel. 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, suffer according to the will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. Revelation 2.10, Fear none of these things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be you faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now, unto death. Does that mean literal physical death? Well, it certainly can. But whether there's any physical death or not, we are to count ourselves as dying daily. In other words, count it as a literal physical death on a daily basis. Now, does all of this sound negative and dark? The fact is, the rest, uh, the best thing to which any of us could be could be called is to those very verses. That's that is the best thing that could happen to us. If it's not given us to bear these words, then the proverb is true. Proverbs twenty-four ten: If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, let's consider the godly and the unjust and the day of judgment. Who are the unjust whom the Apostle Peter tells us are reserved unto the day of judgment? Who, who is that? We read about it and we always just think, wow, I'm sure glad I'm not over there. I'm over here. Well, let's rethink about that. Second Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Those old unjust, they're going to have to be punished. Verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness, and despise governments, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. 
That's those unjust who are going to be punished. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, those old unjust, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, whoever verse 10 is, back up there, well, there it is, chiefly them which walk after the flesh of uncleanness and despise governments, presumptuous are they. So whoever these people are, are, surely they are some especially reprobate person. Do we think of ourselves only in, as the godly to whom the Lord knows how to deliver out of temptation? The key is to the kingdom of heaven within us, and this key concerning the light and the dark side of the same cloud, the negative and the positive application of every word of God will open our eyes to see that we ourselves are the man of sin of verse 10. It's we ourselves who are chief of sinners. It's not somebody else. It's we who have taken Uriah's wife and murdered Uriah to cover up our sin. Only when we see ourselves as being the dark side first will we understand what the Spirit is telling us when Christ said, Another parable is put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed seed in the field. And when men slept, <clears throat> his enemy came and sowed tares among them. That terrible enemy, that other guy somewhere else. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder said, came and said to him, Sir, did not you sow good seed in your field? Whence then has it these tares? And he said to, to, to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Will you then that we go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together in my field until the harvest and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers gather you together the first the tares and bring them in bundles to burn them or gather the wheat into my barn and then first Timothy 115 tells us this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief so that dirty man sowing tares, that enemy, is none other than the person in whom they're being sown. We are our own worst enemy. The kingdom of heaven is not just likened unto the man that sowed the good seed in his field, it's likened unto his enemy, our old man. That's who the, old, the enemy is, who came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. The keys of the kingdom of heaven reveal that the kingdom of heaven is also likened to the householder, Christ who tells the servants to let both grow in the tares. The wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, gather ye first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. What is the, when is the harvest? The harvest is the judgment. Whether it's now or at the great white throne judgment, that's when the tares are gathered first in bundles and burned up. Let's read about it. Just to prove what we're saying here. 1 Corinthians 3.13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day will declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. You and I are not excluded from every man's work. Boy, are we not. If any man's work abides, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Well, some good people are going to receive a reward. No, there are no good people. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, 
but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Well, any man is every man. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Well, we read it earlier. We all had our conversation in sin. We've all defiled the temple of God. We all must be destroyed. So when are the tares gathered together in, in bundles and destroyed with the brightness of his coming? When are the elect judged and purged of all the tares in their lives? Here's when that day of judgment takes place in the kingdom of God within us. Now, mind you, I need to have this uh, in there. Put verse 12 of 1 Peter 4 right before that. Uh, it says, uh, it says, uh, fiery trials are coming upon us, us all. You know, that's that's the verse that has that in it. And then in verse 17, he says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So. Think it not strange, that's what verse 12 says, same chapter. Think it not strange, the fiery trial which is to try you, as though something strange happened to you. But the time has come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. The fires must begin at us. And what if it begin first at us, what will the end be of them that obey not the gospel? Of God. The tares are even now being gathered and bound up in bundles and being burned up by the brightness of the coming of Christ and the truths of his doctrine in all those who are now in the house of God. <clears throat> here again is how they're being burned. And here is how the wheat is being gathered into Christ's barns. Every man's work is made manifest. The day declares it, the day of judgment. It shall be revealed by fire, and the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he will receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, using the dream is one key, uh, and being told by Christ that the kingdom of heaven is within his people, and that the wheat symbolize, symbolizes his own words, his doctrine, we must conclude that God's barn and God's temple are both one and the same. They both symbolize those he is gathering together, those in whom he dwells as his temple, those who he has, who have him within them and live by his words and his doctrines. Now, that key that I spoke of there, the dream is one, is the study we'll be having next week, Lord willing. Let's look at how how this this is all brought together. Genesis 4 verse 26 tells us the seven good kind, which is an old English word for cows, are seven years, and the seven gold, good years, good ears are seven years. He saw the dream of the cows and the corn, and he said the dream is one. It was two separate dreams, but they had the same message. Matthew 13, 18, and 19. Hear you, therefore, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of, God, of the kingdom and understands it not, 
Then comes the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. We all think, well, that's, that's somebody else. No, that's every one of us. Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom within us all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Oh, it says them, so it must be somebody else. No, 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 no. Them are all within us because a kingdom has many within it. And boy, do we have many mountains and giants within our land. Matthew 24, verse 31. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You know, we're, we sort of gather together every week on the Internet. But what if there was no Internet? What if there was no Internet? Would that change the fact that you and I are of the same mind? Well, I hope not. I certainly hope not. We are one in Christ. We are gathered together in Christ, no matter what the physical circumstances. Luke 17, verse 20. When he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation, speaking of the, at this particular time, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, the them that do iniquity, of verse 41 there in Matthew 13, is our old man within us, who is even now being judged and is now being crucified with Christ and is even now dying daily. What a blessing it is to know the mind of Christ and to have all these keys to the kingdom of heaven and to know that the dark side of the cloud that is Christ is simply the first man, Adam, whose demise is the birth of the new man. The bright side of the same cloud the last Adam, the birth of Christ himself within each of us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Romans 8, 28, 11, 28, and I'm going to be reading down through verse uh, 36. As concerning the gospel, they... Yes, it's other people, but it's also our old man. Our enemies for your sakes, and as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so these who now don't believe are also now, now not believed, that through your mercy they may obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Them includes us. You know, we're all in unbelief to begin with. Then he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it should be recompensed to him again? There is nothing that we bring to God, and there is no way that we can understand the depth of, and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. It's totally unsearchable for our natural man. For of him, through him, and to him are all things. It didn't say all good things. 
it said, all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Psalms 139, verse 12. Yes, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the night, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. God sees what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And he knows that he has created the darkness. Here it is, Isaiah 45, 7. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And then our final verse here. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. So we should be comforted knowing that God is working it all after the counsel of his own will, the good and the evil. And I hope that this one more key to the kingdom of heaven is uh, just a little better established in your mind so that you can see a positive and a negative application to virtually everything that is said and, uh, and apply it to your life and share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ and anyone that the Lord gives you the opportunity to witness to.